A CNN columnist says using memes of black people is now digital blackface. Donald Trump heads to Waco to keep upping the rhetorical ante. And Israeli protests explode as debate over judicial reform comes to a head. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Today's show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Do you like your web history being seen and sold to advertisers? No, me neither. Get ExpressVPN right now at expressvpn.com slash Ben. We have a real problem in the United States. We have a serious shortage. The supply lines are broken on racism. There's just apparently not enough for it for the media. There just isn't enough of it. And, and the demand has now dramatically exceeded the supply. See, here's the thing about the United States. The people of the United States are not particularly racist by every available poll. The American people are not racist. They don't mind having people of different races living near them. They don't mind interracial marriage. None of these things bother the American people in any significant numbers. And that's true across the nation. There are not significant regional differences between, say, the South and the North. That is a self-flattering picture painted by the New York Times about its own constituents. But the reality, again, is that Americans, broad, broadly writ, are not a racist people. In fact, we are some of the least racist people on Earth. But in order for systemic change to be effectuated by the left in the United States, there must always be a marginalized population to be used as a cudgel against the system. Because if the system basically allows people to succeed or fail on their own merits, if the system rewards hard work, for example, and punishes people for not doing hard work, or rewards responsible decision-making and punishes people for non-responsible decision-making, well, then disparities may arise. And those disparities may not land equally on every group because, as it turns out, every group is made up of disparate individuals. And it's possible that a, a disparate number of individuals who act irresponsibly is located within one group versus another group. But if the end goal is equity, all groups must achieve equal outcome, well, then you have to have something to say about the system beyond it's just not fair. You have to have a reason why it's not fair. And so we must have continual supply, a fire hose of stories about how America is deeply racist and deeply terrible. Now, again, the problem is that it's hard to come up with those stories because those stories actually don't exist broad writ. It's hard to find them. In fact, the most popular stories about systemic American racism typically are false. Stories about, for example, the idea that the police across the nation are seeking the lives of black people, are seeking to murder black people in the streets. And they'll, pin, they'll take that story, which is not true, and they will pin it to another story, like, say, the death of George Floyd, and suggest that that is just the tip of the iceberg in terms of systemic racism without ever actually making the accusation that George Floyd's death had anything to do with race per se, as opposed to a bad action by a police officer at best. But again, we have to have, this is why the, the Justice Millier story became immediate fodder for the entire left. Because again, when there is high demand for racist incidents, the supply must be filled. And even if you have to generate ersatz supply, you will do so. You can't come up with the real thing. You got to make something. And this is how you come up with an article in CNN today over at CNN.com written by a person named John Blake. And it is called, What's Digital Blackface? And why is it wrong when white people use it? Well, you might be asking yourself, what is, he what is digital blackface? Now, typically, blackface speaks of people back in the 19th and 20th centuries, early 20th centuries, who would dress up as black people in the most mocking of ways in order to be pejorative about black people. It's the Amos and Andy step and fetch it kind of stuff, right? Ugly, hideous stuff that is designed in order to mock black people. So what exactly are we talking about when we say digital blackface? Well, here is what John Blake says. Maybe you shared that viral video of Kimberly Sweet Brown Wilkins telling a reporter after narrowly escaping an apartment fire, ain't nobody got time for that. Perhaps you posted that meme of supermodel Tyra Banks exploding in anger on America's next top model. Or maybe you've simply posted popular gifts, such as the one of NBA great Michael Jordan crying, or of drag queen RuPaul declaring, girl, if you're black and you shared such images online, you get a pass. 
But if you're white, you may have inadvertently perpetuated one of the most insidious forms of contemporary racism. One of the most insidious. See, here's the thing. When it's not clear racism, we just call it insidious racism. It's hidden, secret racism. It's, that's how it's insidious. It's just poisonous. It's gone under the surface, guys. You, says John Blake, may be wearing digital blackface. So what is digital blackface? Digital blackface is a practice where white people co-opt online expressions of black imagery, slang, catchphrases, or culture to convey comic relief or express emotions. These expressions, what one commentator calls racialized reactions, are mainstays in Twitter feeds, TikTok videos, and Instagram reels, and are among the most popular internet memes. Because as we know, there are no memes of white people online. They just do not exist. Nobody's ever used a meme of a white person. Despite the fact that Donald Trump is basically the most popular person online because all he is is a series of memes, <laughs> at least when it comes to the Twitterverse. There's never been a white person that you make memes about. It's all black people. And if you use a black person in a meme because the facial expression is evocative of an emotion that is inherently funny, for example, not because they're black, but because the emotion evoked is funny, this is because you are a racist because everything is racist. Digital blackface involves white people play acting at being black, says Lauren Michelle Jackson, an author and cultural critic in an essay for Teen Vogue. Jackson says the internet thrives on white people laughing at exaggerated displays of blackness, reflecting a tendency to see some among some, to see black people as walking hyperbole. Well, no, every meme is walking hyperbole. Every single meme is walking hyperbole. That, that is the purpose of a meme. When you have a an animated dog in a room on fire, that is hyperbole. That's the whole point of the meme. But no, it's racism. It's racism. And it has to be racism because, again, in order to condemn American society, we must have a constant steady supply of the heroin that is racist incidents. Some may say posting a video of Sweet Brown saying, oh, Lord Jesus, it's a fire. It's just for laughs. You can't even do it. By, by the way, you can't even, you can't even say the lines from that particular video without laughing. That video happens to be one of the funniest videos in the history of the internet. That, that video of, of Kimberly Wilkins talking about escaping a fire. It is one of the great videos in, in the history of the internet. I mean, they, they made it into like an actual digitized song. It's fantastic. But apparently you're not allowed to say it's funny anymore. Why overthink it? Why give people yet another excuse for labeling white people racist for the most innocuous behaviors? But critics say digital blackface is wrong because it's a modern day repackaging of minstrel shows, a racist form of entertainment popular in the 19th century. Now, they acknowledge that there's no real great way of telling what digital blackface is. And there, there's no there's no actual way of finding out what it is because maybe you're just laughing at a thing because it's funny. Like if I laugh at a Dave Chappelle joke because Dave Chappelle is a funny human, am I now engaging in digital blackface? I mean, I didn't dress up as Dave Chappelle. It doesn't matter. Again, this is what happens in a society that's desperate for crisis in order to generate change. We're seeing this, by the way, not just in the United States. You're seeing this pretty much everywhere. And one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, there's a verse in Deuteronomy, Jeshurun got fat and kicked, right? The basic idea, Jeshurun represents the Israelites. The basic idea is that when civilizations get too fat and happy, they look for excuses to rebel against God and to wreck themselves. And you're just seeing it in civilization after civilization. We are such a rich, prosperous thriving, multiracial society, then we have to look for excuses to wreck things. Get to more on this in just a second. First, I'll tell you something you should not wreck yourself on. That, of course, is your phone bill. If you are spending too much money with Verizon, AT&T, or T-Mobile, it's a dumb thing to do. Don't fall for the free phone deals from those big companies. It's just another trick to lock you into a long-term contract that'll cost you a fortune every month. Instead, get a brand new iPhone 12 from Pure Talk for just 12 bucks a month. With Pure Talk's $30 plan, there's no contract and no interest. You can cancel or leave at any time. Get a new iPhone 5G, and cut your cell phone bill in half with Pure Talk. 
I've been using Pure Talk myself. I use it for all my business calls. It's super simple to switch over. Switch right now in as little as 10 minutes at puretalk.com. Enter promo code Shapiro. Save 50% off your very first month of coverage. Choose from a variety of unlimited talk and text plans with plenty of high-speed data, all backed by 100% money-back guarantee. Pure Talk saves the average family over $900 a year. There's no contract, no hidden fees, no hassle. Go to puretalk.com, enter promo code Shapiro, save 50% off your very first month of coverage and get an iPhone 12 for just 12 bucks a month. That's puretalk.com. Promo code Shapiro. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. That's puretalk.com. Enter promo code Shapiro. Save 50% off your very first month. And again, get an iPhone 12 for just 12 bucks a month when you do it. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Folks, what does everyone do when shopping online? Well, you jump to the reviews and you see what customers actually think. Well, Bull and Branch did the hard work for you. In a recent customer survey, 96% said Bull and Branch sheets get softer with every single wash. Bull and Branch sheets are made from the finest 100% organic cotton threads on planet Earth. Buttery to the touch, super breathable. Bull and Branch sheets are perfect for both cooler and warmer months. Their luxurious signature hem sheets were made without pesticides, formaldehyde, or other harsh chemicals. They really do get softer with every single wash. Best of all, Bull and Branch gives you a 30-night risk-free trial with free shipping. Returns on all orders. You're not going to want to return them. We love our Bull & Branch product. In fact, when I'm on the road, I actually travel with their cable knit throw blanket. It is that good. Their product is just awesome. After a long day, nothing feels better than a restful night's sleep in the softest, most luxurious sheets. Sleep better at night with the softest sheets from Bull & Branch. Get 15% off your very first order when you use code BEN at bullandbranch.com. That's Bull & Branch, spelled B-O-L-L-A-N-D, branch.com. Promo code BEN. Exclusions apply. See site for details, bullandbranch.com. Okay, so... You know, we, we live in a society that, that happens to be particularly rich, particularly wealthy, and particularly non-racist. And this is why we have to go looking for instances of racism. In fact, racism is so rare in American society, like true racism, true overt, serious racism, or even systemic racism, where a policy is directed at a racial minority. That stuff is now so rare in American society that we have to make it up. In fact, the, the entire incentive structure in the United States, because the demand for, for racist incidents is so high, is for more people to now masquerade as being members of minority races than the other way around. I pointed this out on the program before. It used to be when America was truly a much more racist place that passing was a major issue for a lot of black Americans, for example. Entire famous novels written about black Americans trying to pass as white Americans because to live as a black American in America was very, very difficult. And if you could pass as a white American, you could, you could live a much easier life. Well, today we now see a lot more publicized instances of the reverse. When is the last time you saw a black person attempting to masquerade as a white person then uncovered that way? But we now have yet another case of a person masquerading as a minority in order to get ahead. According to the New York Post, one of Hollywood's leading Native American figures is being accused of faking her claims of Cherokee heritage. So we have ourselves in Elizabeth Warren of Hollywood. Award-winning Heather Ray, 56, serves on the Academy of Motion Pictures Indigenous Alliance, previously headed up by the Sundance Institute's Native American program and claims, quote, my mother was Indian and my father was a cowboy. Multiple prior news reports have also cited her as having a Cherokee mother. But a watchdog group called Tribal Alliance Against Frauds is now demanding the Academy and the producer drop her false claims, while activists insist she's at best one 2048th Cherokee, which is like even less Native American than Elizabeth Warren is. The group accuses her of profiting from usurping real American Indian voices and perspectives and being a fraudulent so-called pretendian. Ray is married to another Hollywood producer, Russell Friedenberg, and the eldest of their three children is actress Johnny Sequoia, who currently stars in the reboot of Dexter. Ironically, Ray was already caught up in the highest pretendian scandal to hit Hollywood. The producer was thanked by the Academy last year for brokering an apology to Sasheen Littlefeather. 
Littlefeather was blacklisted in Hollywood for appearing on Marlon Brando's behalf to decline his 1973 Best Actor Oscar and jeered as she spoke up for Native Americans claiming to be Apache. But after her death in October, Littlefeather's sister revealed she was a liar who had faked her identity all along. So hilariously, we now have an infinite regress of pretendians. So the person who brokered an apology to a fake Native American in Sashin Littlefeather and herself brokered the apology, this, this woman, Ray, Heather Ray, it turns out that she is a pretendian as well. Again, when you have a society where people are literally going out of their way to pretend to be members of minority races, this would suggest a pretty tolerant and diverse society. And it also suggests a society where there is a deep and abiding interest for a lot of folks in claiming that society itself is radically discriminatory and therefore needs to change. And so when it turns out that it's very difficult to find evidence that this is the case, we just keep stretching out the boundaries of people who are, in fact, victimized. So you've now stretched out the boundaries of people who are victimized to people who are in memes. And we've stretched out the boundaries of victimhood to include people who are princesses in, in terms of Meghan Markle, for example. Like she's a big she's a big victim. We, we, we have a wide variety of politicians like Kamala Harris who claims that she has been a victim of American society, despite the fact that she clearly, clearly has not. And then we have, obviously, the most prominent group of people who are claiming to be victims in, in the West today, not just in the United States. And that, of course, is men who pretend that they are women. Men who believe that they are women or women who believe that they are men. These apparently are victims of an evil, homophobic, transphobic society. Now, if this were really, truly the case, then you would not have the president of the United States seeking legislation, federal legislation, in order to stop states from preventing the mutilation of children. But again, that is part and parcel of a broader attempt to rewrite the systems of power. The real question we should be asking ourselves is, to whom does it seem acceptable, against whom in our society today does it seem acceptable to, say, do violence? To, against whom has it now become acceptable to do violence? So nobody, nobody, right, left, or center, suggests that it is okay to do violence to people who, are, who identify as transgender. No one believes it is okay to do violence to those people. In fact, a large part of the case against doing mutilating surgeries on people who believe that they are a member of the other sex, that actively is greenlighting an act of, of brutal physical violence against somebody because even if somebody consents to the physical violence on themselves, you can't do that if you're a child, for example. And if you're an adult and you have some sort of mental problem, that's not a good idea either. Okay, but there is a group of people against whom apparently it is okay to do physical violence and it just sort of gets ignored or, or looked the other way by the media. And that, of course, is feminists who say that women actually exist. We'll get to that story in a moment because this broke out into the public view over the weekend in New Zealand, of all places. First, baseball season is coming up. It is almost opening day. I am pumped for it, actually. As much as I love watching baseball and rooting for the White Sox, prize picks makes it a lot more fun because prize picks is the easiest and fastest way to play daily fantasy sports. You pick two to six players, you choose whether they will score more or less than their prize picks projection. You can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. There's no competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections. Prize picks offers projections on pretty much every sport there is. NBA, NFL, MLB, NHL, PGA, college sports, whatever you are into. The app is sleek. It's easy to use. Entries can be made in 60 seconds or less, and withdrawals are safe and fast as well. My producers have been using prize picks. They made entries on March Madness and the NBA. They said that the simplified interface is really, really easy to use, way easier than other fantasy sports apps. And again, they have pretty much anything you could possibly want to put some sort of pick on. So download that prize picks app today or go to prizepicks.com to sign up and play daily fantasy sports. First time users can receive 100% instant deposit match up to 100 bucks with promo code Ben. If you deposit 100 bucks, prize picks will give you 100 bucks. If you deposit 50, prize picks will give you 50. Don't forget to enter promo code Ben at sign up for an instant deposit match up to $100. 
We'll get to more on this in just a moment. First, we're experiencing a lot of global instability as we plunge into primary season. How are you protecting your family in the middle of all of this chaos? The fact is there is one asset that has withstood famine, war, political and economic upheaval dating back to ancient times. That, of course, is gold. It's not too late to diversify an old IRA or 401k into gold and Birch Gold Group can help you with that. Birch Gold can help you create a well-thought-out and balanced investment strategy. They'll help you convert an existing IRA or 401k into an IRA in gold without paying a penny out of pocket. Diversify into gold today. Just text Ben to 989898 for a free info kit. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, thousands of happy customers, I encourage you to check out Birch Gold today. Text Ben to 989898. Claim your free info kit. Protect your savings with gold the way that I did. Diversification is always a smart business strategy, particularly in really tenuous times. This is a tenuous time. You should check out my friends over at Birch Gold. Text Ben to 989898. Get in touch with them today. Ask all your questions. Text Ben to 989898 to get started with Birch Gold. Okay, so again, the corollary to people being able to claim victimhood and there being a big market for that is that people who are actively victimized by those people are never considered victims. Because if you're a member of the victim class, you can never be a victimizer by nature. This presumably is why we are all supposed to ignore the assault, the assaults that were happening with regard to a so-called anti-trans pundit known as Kelly J. Keen Minshall. According to thepinknews.com, which, as you would imagine, is an LGBTQ plus minus divided by sign, happy face emoji tilde ampersand website, quote, due to thousands of counter protesters overwhelming Posey Parker's planned Auckland rally in New Zealand, she has reportedly decided to leave the country. So far, Keen Minchel, who has previously described herself as a TERF, that'd be a trans-exclusionary radical feminist, meaning a feminist who believes that women exist, brought the anti-gender rally to Sydney, Brisbane, Perth, Adelaide, Canberra, Hobart, and several other Australian cities. She was set to continue her tour in New Zealand, but the backlash by Auckland locals proved too great for the event to go ahead. The New Zealand Herald reported that more than 2,000 counter-protesters joined together prior to the event taking place in order to drown out the rhetoric of this person. Huge crowd. And uh, some people were actually getting physically assaulted in the crowd. Apparently, the crowd held signs of LGBTQ plus minus divided by sign solidarity, began to gather around the gazebo with bodyguards telling them to get out of here. After several minutes of standing around an ever-growing crowd of counter-protesters, the, um, the person at issue, Posey Parker, was uh, forced to cancel the event outright. And that's because people were screaming at her that she was a Nazi. And not only were they screaming at her a Nazi, actual violence broke out. Here's a little bit of the uh, video from the event. You can see Posey Parker being surrounded by security. You can see the crowd crushing in on her. Again, for the great crime of having said that men are men and women are women. Like people are literally throwing, I mean, you can see this, this is crazy. People are literally pouring water bottles on her. People are hitting her with signs. Really solid stuff right there. Uh, in fact, at the same event, some of these trans activists beat up an old woman. There's an old woman there. She got clocked directly in the face. That would be a man beating a woman right there. That's, there it is. Nice, uh, nice slow-mo of a, of a, this is really sweet, sweet stuff that's happening right here. And the way this will be played by the media is not as a frontline story. Now, imagine that a trans activist went to give some sort of speech and a bunch of people who believe in traditional genders, they showed up. And not only did they show up, they actually started committing physical acts of violence against the people by the thousands. Like they showed up and thousands of people started crowding the speaker, started crushing the speaker and started actively doing acts of violence. It's a national news story when some nut job 
throws a throws a firebomb in an unoccupied gay bar, right? That's a national, it was a national news story when some dumbass decided to drive a truck over like a rainbow, uh, a rainbow crosswalk and then skid mark with the truck across the rainbow. This is a hate crime. But when you have trans activists who are beating the hell out of people, apparently that is totally okay. Because again, the victimized class can never themselves be victimized. And we have to have victim classes in our society. Now, the left requires the victim classes because how else can you claim that the system is unjust? Now, normally, we wouldn't say that the system is unjust for, you know, saying things that are true, like men are men and women are women. But we have to keep centering the marginalized. And as our society keeps recentering the marginalized, it turns out that we run out of marginalized people. And so we have to keep broadening the scope of who the marginalized are so as to keep up the constant revolution against the center. That is what has to happen here. Now, it's not that there's a solid case being made for any of the, the transgender here. There's a, a kind of astonishing piece of a video of Minnesota Democrat Leigh Fink being asked about gender-affirming health care in the Minnesota legislature. You know, is, it, is it good or bad? Can you, can you actually give us some facts on this? And uh, this particular Democrat had, had no idea. Do GnRH hormones cause bone loss? Representative Finke. Thank you, Madam Speaker. Um, that is not a yes or no question. Are any of the drugs that are prescribed to children also given, and by drugs I mean hormone therapies or quote unquote puberty blockers, um, are any of them prescribed to children? Are they also given to violent sex offenders with the purpose of chemically castrating the violent sex offender? Representative Finke. Um, Madam Speaker, I have no idea. Representative Franson. Thank you, Madam Speaker. The answer is yes. I mean, these folks don't know what they're even talking about. But again, they're the victims of American society if you won't let them teach your kids that boys can be girls and girls can be boys. And not only that, they're, they're particular victims. Everyone's a victim. Once you're a member of the victimized class, you can do literally whatever the hell you want, including apparently being a violent male pedophile. According to Redux.info, a violent male pedophile has now been moved to a women's prison in Washington after beginning to identify as transgender. Jolene Charisma Starr, born Joel Thomas Nichols, is the latest male transfer to the Washington Correction Center for Women, which currently has approximately one dozen male inmates being housed in the facility. According to a source within the facility, the transfer was completed within the last few months. Starr, 57, was convicted in 1995 of two horrific attacks on young girls. The first assault took place in August 1993 and targeted an 11-year-old girl. It's a grisly account that really I'm not even going to retell on the air. And then the next year, Starr attempted to kidnap a nine-year-old girl. So this is a violent pedophile, but... Good news for the violent pedophile. The violent pedophile now says that he is a trans person and thus must be housed with the women, according to the Washington Department of Corrections. Because once you're a member of the victimized class, it doesn't matter what you do. You're, you've, been, you've been put aside by the patriarchy. You've been put upon by these generalists. You are now an ally against the evils of society, more broadly speaking. And, and so you must, you must now be, be washed clean of all of your sins. At least insofar as the entire media now has to take very seriously your contention to be a member of the opposite sex, no matter how terrible a person you are or what evil crimes you have committed. Okay, in just one second, I'm going to bring you the update on the situation over in Israel where, where things have gone quite wild. We'll get to that in just a moment. First, you know, it's very difficult to maintain a healthy lifestyle when you are on the go all the time. Now, I'm, I work a fair bit, and then I take care of my kids a lot. There's some travel involved. And let me tell you, getting in the number of fruits and vegetables a day that you are supposed to actually intake in order to be healthy, nearly impossible for me, especially because vegetables are my moral nemesis. I don't, they're, they're evidence of God's cruelty toward man. 
So this is one of the reasons why I'm a huge fan of Balance of Nature. Balance of Nature fruits and veggies are the best way to make sure that you're getting essential nutritional ingredients every single day. Their capsules are packed with 100% whole food that can take that you can take at any time. Balance of Nature uses a cold vacuum process that preserves the natural phytonutrients in 16 whole fruits and 15 whole vegetables and encapsulates them for easy consumption. Balance of Nature actually sends a bunch of their product down to the studio for my team to try. We all love them. I was excited to find out the product is certified kosher so I can actually use it. Go to balanceofnature.com. Use promo code Shapiro for 35% off your first order as a preferred customer. That's balanceofnature.com. Promo code Shapiro for 35% off your first preferred order. Again, balanceofnature.com. Promo code Shapiro for 35% off. Okay, so meanwhile, a lot of focus internationally on the situation in Israel right now. Everybody is sort of presenting the situation in Israel, including many of the people on the ground in Israel, as full-scale emergency civil wars about to break out. Okay, so I, I rarely believe that that is the case, particularly in a stable democracy, which Israel has been for almost eight decades at this point. The, the notion that, that people are going to be shooting each other in the streets over judicial reform is an absurdity. But the situation is kind of shockingly interesting and complex. So here is what's happening in Israel for, for those who are, who are following. And it does have some international ramifications, particularly in terms of sort of the broader revolt against actual election outcomes. So just to recap, Israel had held a bunch of elections. In the last five years, I believe it was like five elections in the last four years. And they could not come to a conclusion on a governing coalition. Finally, a, an actual governing majority was elected in the state of Israel. That governing majority is led by Benjamin Netanyahu. Netanyahu is incredibly controversial in Israel because he's been under indictment for corruption charges. I tend to think that those corruption charges are pretty scanty, but there are a lot of people in Israel who really, really hate Netanyahu. And they had kind of given him up for dead. He came back in, he won. His coalition happens to be a coalition of Likud, which is the, the kind of center-right party in Israel, combined with a couple of more right-wing parties. That would be the, the parties led by Itamar Ben-Gavir and, and Bezal Smotrich. These are, these are parties that are, that are led by people who live in Judea and Samaria and tend to be more right-wing on both foreign policy and also with regard to religious policy. And then there are a couple of Haredi parties, right? These, these are the parties the, of the quote-unquote ultra-Orthodox. That'd be UTJ, United Torah Judaism, and Shas. These, both, both of those parties are parties that rely heavily on government subsidies in order for people to study day in and day out at yeshiva and also a lot of those people are reliant on welfare dollars and don't serve in the army. There, there are actual religious exemptions in Israel where some people don't have to serve in the army. So it's that coalition versus on the other side, people who are sort of center left, secular Israelis who are not particularly religious, who do serve in the army, many of whom are working and paying taxes, and Arab parties. Those are the people who are out of power in Israel right now. Okay, so Benjamin Netanyahu's coalition comes into power. And the first thing that they do is they see that they want to redo the way the judiciary is done in Israel. So in 1995, there's something called the Judicial Revolution in Israel. The Judicial Revolution in Israel was led by a far-left chief justice named Aharon Barak. And his basic idea is that the Supreme Court of Israel would now basically make all law. There were no limits to what they could rule unconstitutional and not unconstitutional. No, no limits to what they could strike down and what they could not strike down. Now, up until that point, They'd sort of tried to hem themselves in a little bit, but Aharon Barak legitimately said that the judiciary will essentially now rule the country. And this was kind of important because, again, as the right was gaining power, the left controlled the judiciary. And so it was just a tool for now taking control of policy. What makes it very weird is that in the United States, at least you have to pretend if you're the Supreme Court to speak in the name of a constitution. Israel does not have a constitution. They have a series of what are called basic laws, but it's not clear what actually separates a basic law from just a regular piece of legislation. So in essence, the judiciary could just do whatever the hell that it wanted. And the way the judiciary was selected also was a huge problem because it turns out that it wasn't just that this current judiciary was left wing and now would cram down its view on the rest of 
Israel, including the elected branches, they, they effectively appoint their own successors. The way the, the committee to appoint members to Israel's Supreme Court is made up of members of the Israeli Bar Association, retired Supreme Court justices, people who are sort of in the legal establishment. And the elected government has very little to say about it. So the new coalition comes in and they say, listen, the right has never really had a chance when it comes to the Supreme Court at all. Also, there are no restrictions as to what the Supreme Court can actually rule on. And so we want to redo this. We want to change the way that the judiciary is selected so that the government that is in power now gets to select the judges while they're in power. When a, when a seat comes free, they get to, the way it would be sort of in the United States. They get to select who goes on to the judiciary. And there are some other elements of the, of the judicial reform proposal that were also brought to the table, including the idea that the attorney general of the state of Israel shouldn't be able to preemptively prevent the prime minister from just ran, from doing things. So in the United States, the attorney general works for the president. In Israel, the attorney general is a separately appointed person who has nothing to do with the government and who actively acts as almost another judicial check. He can just strike things down. So it's actually what, what was, it was actually a majoritarian attempt what was happening at the Knesset level. And so the new coalition came in and they were trying to make things more democratic because now the elected branch of government would have more say over the judiciary. The judiciary would not have an unbounded ability to simply strike anything that they wanted down. The judiciary wouldn't be able to appoint its own successors. There wouldn't be essentially a bunch of robed oligarchs deciding all policy in the state of Israel. Hey, so this seems like fairly rational, right? Now, there were some provisions of the original proposals put forward by the governing coalition that went too far. So, for example, one of the proposals was that a pure majority in the Knesset could overrule any judicial decision. That was too far. And I think the governing coalition knew that. And so they pulled that one relatively quickly. But the opposition in Israel, instead of sitting down and negotiating, they decided that they were going to essentially bring a lot of people into the streets. The reason they were able to bring a lot of people into the streets was twofold. Number one, again, a lot of people don't like Netanyahu. A lot of people are very upset at the way the last election went, and they are freaked out that the current coalition contains nobody from the quote-unquote center or center-left or, or from the hard left. It is, a, it is a pretty religious right coalition in Israel right now. So the left was looking for sort of any, anything to protest on. So that, that's, that's part of the problem. The other problem that they're seeing is the demographic changes in the state of Israel have now created some serious problems internally in Israel. Because originally, when the state of Israel was founded, it was founded essentially by a lot of secular Jews. There was a lot of secular Jews. There were some religious Jews. And then there were sort of the ultra-Orthodox Jews. And the tacit kind of deal was that the socialistic secular Jews were going to run the place. And the less and the more religious Jews were going to get government benefits and not have to serve in the army, but they wouldn't have a lot of political power. Well, demographically speaking, the religious Jews reproduce a lot more. And so a couple of generations in, they're now wielding a lot more political power over time. And so the left is looking at the future of elections. And they're saying to themselves, we better have some sort of hedge against the legislature. We can't have the legislature just able to do whatever it wants willy-nilly. There should be some sort of hedge here. Now, this would be a good time for negotiation. Right? This would be a good time for the left to sit down with the right and say, listen, we don't want you to do this. You know, We understand you have a majority, but if you go through with this, there will be a backlash. And the backlash is going to, is going to cause us to essentially reverse everything you do in the first five seconds. Instead, what has happened is a couple of things. One, the judiciary and the attorney general in Israel have basically put their foot on the gas. They've decided that they are going to explicitly, almost explicitly say that they will strike down anything that the legislature does. So if the legislature passes something changing how the judiciary is picked in Israel, the judiciary will just strike it down, which is kind of a constitutional crisis. It's almost as though in the United States, if a constitutional amendment were passed saying the Supreme Court can no longer rule on issues related to abortion and the Supreme Court struck down the constitutional amendment, they'd be like, uh, what now? 
How, how, what are we supposed to do? So that, that's sort of the problem. The judiciary is now sounding off on questions where it's not clear whether they even have a say. In fact, I think the most absurd aspect of this particular controversy and conflagration over there is that the attorney general of the state of Israel said that Netanyahu, because he's currently under indictment on a corruption charge, can't take part in the negotiations on judicial reform because he's an interested party. The attorney general said that. The attorney general is being legislated about. She is an interested party ruling that Netanyahu can't take part. He's an elected official. He can't take part in the negotiations, but she can, and she can rule on it, even though she's an interested party. So what's happened is essentially a, a stalemate. You have the government, which is elected, saying we would like to ram this thing through. And then you have the left going out in the street and activating pretty much everything at its disposal in order to stop it. They've threatened with the Supreme Court. They now have members of the Israeli army who are saying, we're not going to show up for work. You now have the, the Histadrut, which is the biggest labor union in Israel. It's like 800,000 people who work for the Histadrut. Now saying they're going to declare a general strike. You have universities, which are run by the left, shutting down. You have tech millionaires over there who are saying they're going to pull their money. So basically, it's the elected branch, the elected coalition, versus all the established powers that be over there. The main issue being not really the judiciary, but can there, can there be some sort of deal that is cut? So this all came to a head over the weekend because Yov Galant, who's a member of Likud, and who was the Secretary of Defense, he was the Minister of Defense under Netanyahu, he came out and he said that he wanted to freeze the process, that we need to not move forward with this, with this judicial reform right now. It's just too hot. Everybody's going too crazy. We need to stop this. And he also sort of implied that the soldiers, reservists, were not showing up to serve in the army, that, that those people, they, had a, they may have a case and I'm going to meet with them. And Netanyahu, who's the prime minister, says, well, I can't have the Minister of Defense legitimizing people not showing up for work because they don't like the policy of the government. Like in the United States, if Joe Biden did something the members of the military don't like and members of the military said we're not showing up for work, they'd get thrown in the brig. So, so Netanyahu fired his, his Minister of Defense. This prompted massive spasms of, of protest in the streets in Israel. Now, the most likely outcome in any case is going to be that the Supreme Court of Israel is just going to strike down whatever Netanyahu's coalition passes. And Netanyahu is not going to activate the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, against the Supreme Court in Israel and cause like an overt war of all against all. That's not going to happen. Everybody who keeps saying this actually has an interest in the chaos. Like they have a political interest in the chaos. The first thing that would need to happen in Israel is for everybody to calm the hell down, get in a room and, and start actually negotiating this thing out. But right now, all the incentive structures are misaligned. And so what you're likely to have is, is the coalition will ram through something, the Supreme Court will strike it down, and then life will, will essentially go back to quasi-normal. But there are a bunch of underlying issues in Israeli politics that are going to have to get solved in order for this thing not to percolate under the surface. And those issues are going to be things like, do the ultra-Orthodox have to serve in the army? What sort of religious restrictions are, are going to be acceptable in a, in a diverse society? How exactly are members of the judiciary selected? Right. All these questions that have been kind of put on back burner for a long time, those are going to have to be answered in Israel moving forward. So that's sort of the, the synopsis of what's going on in Israel. We'll keep you updated, obviously. It's sort of fascinating. The reason it has broader international ramifications is because the one there are a couple of things that are happening here that are, that are sort of fascinating. One is that there is a tendency on the part of the press that anytime anyone on the right does well electorally, the answer is crisis, democracy is in danger. That's not true. It's not just on the left, by the way. People on the right are doing this too. It needs to stop. If you would like to see robust Republican, small R Republic, Republics work, if you would like to see democracies continue to thrive, people need to stop acting as though when they lose an election, it is the end of the world. It is not the end of the world. There's another election coming. If you truly believe it's the end of the world, then you are spoiling 
for like an actual violent fight. And it's dangerous, dangerous stuff. Whether you're talking about Israel, where it's the left protesting Netanyahu, whether you're talking about during the Trump administration, where it was the left protesting Trump and suggesting that he was an illegitimate president, whether it was post-2020, when there were a lot of people who were suggesting that it was the end of the country because Trump had lost. Not true. Trump is the leading candidate on the right right now. And everybody needs to cool their heels for a second. And one of the things that I think has happened, I said earlier, Jashurun has gotten fat and kicked. When you lose all those intermediate institutions in society, when you share less and less as a people, and when you're incredibly rich and, and very distractible, and you have the time to actually go out and protest in the streets, people are tending to do that a lot. It's happening in France too. You're literally seeing fires just being set in the streets of France over raising the retirement age from 62 to 64. Are these the sorts of issues over which democracies should break? Absolutely not. But the thing about apocalypse is that it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. The more you keep saying that it's the end of the road, the more you draw closer to the end of the road. Okay, in just a second, we'll get to the latest in the 2024 Republican presidential race, which is heating up. Donald Trump went to Waco, Texas, and he, um, he went for it. We'll get to that momentarily first. If you're looking to make your company stronger and better, you need ZipRecruiter. You have a lot of roles that you need to fill. You should go fill them with ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter helps you find the most qualified people for your roles fast. Right now, you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. ZipRecruiter's matching technology helps you find the most qualified candidates for a wide range of roles. If you see a candidate you like, you can easily send them a personal invite so they're more likely to apply. Their user-friendly dashboard makes it easy to filter, review, and rate your candidates all from one place. See why the majority of employers count on ZipRecruiter. Four to five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within day one. Use my exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. Head on over to ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. ZipRecruiter.com slash D-A-I-L-Y-W-I-R-E. ZipRecruiter is indeed the smartest way to hire. Go check them out right now. ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. We've been using them here at Daily Wire for years, which is why we're constantly upgrading our employee base. You should do exactly the same thing we do. We are a successful business. Make your business more successful with ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. ZipRecruiter.com slash Daily Wire. Also, folks, you've heard me talk about Jeremy's Razors. That's our answer to the woke companies that hate your values, but we'll gladly take your cash. I'm here to remind you, we are more than just a razor company. We have a great line of men's staples, Behold, look at this, this right here. This is the Jeremy's Razor's Charcoal Body Wash. Yes, I use it. And yes, it is in fact delightful. It is delightful. It's like the smell of, of citrusy heaven. It's, it's just, it's, it's wonderful. Okay, and then in this very box, we have beard oil, which I've been finding increasingly useful lately. We also have beard balm. We have beard shampoo. So many beard products, it would it'd even... Make a man like Matt Walsh cry because men like Matt Walsh they need a lot of beard product. That's what I need right there. I've got the hair and body line with me right now. Let me tell you, these aren't just products that align with your values. They're high quality. They're made with natural ingredients. There's the tea tree and argan oil infused shampoo and conditioner, the exfoliating charcoal body wash. They smell great. They'll keep your hair, body, and conscience clean. You won't be giving your money to leftist corporations that think that you are toxic. They're 100% sulfate-free, paraben-free, woke-free, made right here in the United States of America. Head over to jeremysrazors.com. Kick woke companies out of your bathroom today. <laughs> Meanwhile, Donald Trump went to Waco, Texas, where he launched into a, a rally that, again, was an attempt to gain attention. Donald Trump is operating on a few different bases these days. He's sort of running on, on three separate bases. One is this case with regard to the Manhattan DA. So that heated up again, end of last week. It, it led off the week before when the Friday before last, Donald Trump went on social media and, and suggested openly that he was going to be arrested the following week. Of course, he was not indicted. He was not arrested. It's unclear whether he will be indicted or arrested at all. In fact, Donald Trump 
actually over the weekend, suggested that the DA may have even dropped the case. He told reporters aboard his plane, quote, I think they've already dropped the case. It's a fake case. Some fake cases, they have absolutely nothing. So that would have been Trump obviously ramping people up with, with no place to go because it's possible that the case wasn't going to go forward in the first place. But he, the nice thing about being Trump is that when you say something like that, it reads as a win, right? When you say they're going to indict me and then they don't indict you and the entire left jumps because when Trump says a thing, the left is like a cat with a laser pointer with Trump. Wherever Trump points the laser, the, the left just jumps. When Trump says they're going to arrest me and the entire media jumps to, they're going to arrest him, yay! And then they don't arrest him. And it's like, ah, he escaped again. So that's that's a good one. Uh, you know, that, that'll, that'll benefit Trump. What won't benefit Trump, of course, is when he puts up posts with regard to Alvin Bragg uh, in which the, the, he put up a post over the weekend. It was so bad that even Donald Trump had to take it down, <laughs> which is saying a lot. Uh, the post was a picture of Donald Trump holding a baseball bat next to a picture of Alan Bragg, which, I mean, like, what is this? The Untouchables? Enthusiasms, enthusiasms. Like, what, 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 what is this? I mean, I, I assume that Trump didn't make the picture himself. Obviously, he's linking to something else, but that is... Um, Obviously not particularly good stuff. At the same time, Donald Trump always gets the benefit of the media jumping too far. So over the weekend, Chuck Todd was grilling one of Trump's lawyers on the so-called dehumanizing attacks on Alvin Bragg because he suggested that he was like an animal who was out of control. And he's like, oh, well, he's only saying that because he's black. No, Donald Trump uses that kind of language with everybody. He does. That's what he does. Yeah. 32 years as both a prosecutor and a defense lawyer, I've never seen an abuse of discretion like this. Well, you say that. We don't know what the charges are yet. We have no idea what the charges are. But I, I go, go back well, to, is it, no, it I would do you have advise an, I a do client, have an idea. would you advise a client to personally attack a, 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 a prosecutor like this? I mean, it's dehumanizing, Mr. Takapina. You know, Chuck, I know, I, again, I'm not his social media consultant. Um, I, I don't, I think that was an ill-advised post that one of his social media people put up and he quickly took down when he realized the rhetoric and the photo that was attached to it. Okay, so, you know, again, walking it back a little bit, but the, but the idea from the media that, oh my God, it's just another Donald Trump danger moment. Okay, so here's the thing that Trump thrives on more than anything else. He thrives on the attention. And I gotta be honest with you, I, I think it's one of the reasons why I think that, that Donald Trump keeps upping the ante rhetorically because the minute he's not the center of attention, the, the air kind of just drains out. It's, it's boring. I mean, once he, when he's not saying something that's brand new and shocking, then it gets kind of boring. Like at a certain point, if you just keep being a shock jock, if it's not the policy, like when Trump was president, it was the policy. And that's for people like me. The attraction is that he did a bunch of things on policy that I really, really liked. But if you're now Madonna and you're 60 odd years old and you've got you know, the, the face filler and you're just, you know, showing your, your butt still and like you're, and your thing is just what can I do to be transgressive today? And it's like more and more and more. At a certain point, people may turn off the TV. And so Donald Trump has to keep sort of upping the ante rhetorically. And so, as I say, he's operating right now on three tracks. One is the is the D.A. trying to indict him. That's a win for him. And then there are the other two tracks and the other two tracks. I'm not sure are, are big winners for him. The, the other two tracks are the attacks on the other candidates. And his own campaign, like what he himself will do. When it comes to the attacks on other candidates, I just don't think this is playing for a lot of people right now. now a lot of people are attributing Donald Trump's increase in the polls and Ron DeSantis' decrease in the polls over the last couple of months to Trump's attacks on DeSantis. I don't think that's correct at all. I think that those polls drop because it's a consistent drop. It's not like it dropped in the last two weeks. It dropped consistently from December to January to February to March. I think the reason for that poll drop for DeSantis is because immediately after the last election cycle, there's a massive spike for DeSantis and a massive decline for Trump. People took away 
a lesson which I think is probably right, which is that DeSantis won in Florida and Trump lost with a bunch of his candidates. And people were like, I'm not sure I want that on the 2024 ballot. And then as that faded, people kind of went back to their corners. They're like, OK, well, it's been a few months. I like that Trump guy. And DeSantis is not even running yet. And the race isn't really happening yet. So, you know, like DeSantis had that one moment. But can he last the test? I don't know. Maybe it's still Trump. So I think that's really what's happening right here. That does not mean, however, that the crowd has already decided for Trump. So when Trump attacks the other candidates, there's so, there's something weird going on. When he himself attacks the other candidates, particularly DeSantis, there's just not a lot of enthusiasm for it. In fact, actually, there are some polls right now, the state-level polls, which are the ones that matter. There's a survey conducted by Public Opinion Strategies, March 21 to 23. It found DeSantis leading Trump by eight points, 45-37 in Iowa, and tied with Trump 39-39 in New Hampshire. In a more crowded field, including Haley and Vivek, Ramas, and Vivek Ramaswamy, DeSantis was tied with Trump in Iowa and trailed him by 12 points in New Hampshire. So the field could easily split in favor of Trump. But there was a clip that was going around over the weekend, Trump in Waco, and he attacked DeSantis. And what's fascinating about this clip is not Trump attacking DeSantis, because again, he, he's going to attack whoever he believes is a threat. This is just Trump is all weapons all the time. People do not resonate to it. Listen to the crowd reaction to Trump going after DeSantis, because again, people are like, why aren't you attacking the Democrats? Like, do that. But I saw him, so he came and he really wanted. I said, you can't win, can you? How do you can win? Sir, if you endorse me, I'll win. Please. Please, sir, endorse me. So what happened is I said, let's give it a shot, Ron. And I endorsed him and he became like a rocket ship. Within one day, the race was over. He got the nomination. So we laugh at him now. But at the time, he was one of the hottest people in politics, Matt, right? He comes from a state that matches. Look at the crowd. The crowd is uncomfortable. Now, he turned out to be a crackhead. I mean, the, 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 uh, look at the crowd. The crowd is not comfortable with this. They're not comfortable with this because, again, Trump going on the offensive against Alvin Bragg, the crowd is kind of there for it. Trump going on the offensive against other Republicans, the crowd is kind of not there for it. And so that means that Trump has to ramp up his rhetoric on other stuff, right? In order to maintain the attention on himself, he has to ramp up the rhetoric on everything else. And that's what he basically did over the weekend with regard to this, this Waco rally. So he opened his Waco rally, for example, by playing actually the January 6th choir singing a song, Justice for All, with footage on the giant billboards of the January 6th rioting happening behind him. Now, that is Trump obviously trolling the media. It's obviously Trump doing something for attention. It's Trump attempting to draw the fire of the media so that he can respond to the fire from the media. It also is evidence not of a candidate who is kind of on his strongest legs. Again, what Trump should be running on is very simple. If you want to win the presidency and you're Donald Trump, here's what you do. You say, I was kicking ass as president. An amazing job. Right? Take a look at the economy. It was great. Take a look at the Middle East. It was fantastic. Look at all the things I would have been able to do if I had not been hampered by the Mueller investigation and a media that hated me and people rigging social media and the election rules changes. All that stuff, if that hadn't happened, I was, I was on a track to success. Now look at the country. The country is in serious trouble. Put me back in and I will continue on that road. That's a pretty solid pitch, right? That's the pitch you should be making. But the problem is that that's not an attention-getting pitch. And again, I, I think one of the problems here is that as time passes, there will come a saturation. I think they're, they're made. Oh, well, there may come a saturation point where people are like, this is enough attention grabbing kind of headlines. I, it's, it's getting kind of old. It's getting kind of boring. Like, how many more times can we see this, this act? Here's Trump doing the January 6th thing. Ladies and gentlemen, 
Please rise and place your hand over your heart for the number one song on iTunes, Amazon, and the Billboard charts. Justice for All, featuring President Donald J. Trump and the J6 Choir. Okay, again, like the shout out to January 6th is an attempt to get the media to cover it so that he's at the center of the news again. And then, of course, during this rally, Trump also said this is the final battle. This is going to be the end battle. It's like the cataclysmic, the apocalyptic event. Maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. But I'm not sure how many times you can go back to this well. You will be vindicated and proud and the thugs and criminals who are corrupting our justice system will be defeated, discredited, and totally disgraced. Our opponents have done everything they can to crush our spirit and to break our will, but they've failed. They've only made us stronger. And 2024 is the final battle. That's going to be the big one. If you put me back in the White House, their reign will be over, and America will be a free nation once again. Okay, so it's, it's, a, it's a personal the final battle. And, and the signs, the preprinted signs, they'll say witch hunt. It's about Trump personally. That should not be, the, again, the campaign for Trump is that jerk in the White House is terrible at this job. I was way better at this job than he was. I was targeted by people like him. You need me back in there because now I know where all the bodies are buried and I'm going to go in there and I'm going to clean house and I'm going to make the country better. And I'm going to do it because you saw that I did a good job last time. And I would have done an even better job if I had known then what I know now, right? That's, that's the pitch. Uh, the, the good news for him is that Joe Biden is actively making that pitch for him every day. The question is whether Trump himself is going to be able to make that pitch or whether he's distracted with insulting Ron DeSantis or whether he's doing the J6 thing. Or any, like, I, I don't think that a, a campaign in 2024 centered around January 6th, if that sounds like a win to you, I, I, I want to see some data to support that notion. Uh, here's the thing. While Donald Trump is running along these various lines, the chief focus of his attacks right now really should be Joe Biden. Joe Biden is super, super vulnerable. And, and he's completely apparently willing to just lie about his own record. That, that's not a particular shock, but the gall with which he does it really is an amazing, amazing thing. Over the weekend, for example, Joe Biden suggested they've done an amazing job on bank failures, which is uh, weird because one thing that I noticed is that the banks are still quite vulnerable. According to the Wall Street Journal, global economic growth rebounded modestly this month, although stubbornly high inflation and banking stresses weigh on the outlook. Apparently, central banks have kept raising interest rates to cool economic activity. The higher rates are causing pain in the financial sector. And Joe Biden's out there bragging about it in Canada. Some on Wall Street have expressed frustration that it's unclear what more your administration is willing to do to resolve the banking crisis. Uh, The markets have remained in turmoil. So how confident are you that the problem is contained? And if it spreads, what measures such as guaranteeing more deposits are you willing or not willing to take? First of all, have you ever known Wall Street not in consternation? Number one. Look, I think we've done a pretty damn good job. People's uh, savings are secure. And uh, even those beyond the $250,000, the FDIC is guaranteeing them that the American taxpayer is not going to have to pay a penny. The banks are in pretty good shape. Everything's hunky-dory, which is weird than why why the bond market is completely topsy-turvy. And, uh, and people are expecting a recession. According to the New York Times, quote, bonkers bond trading may be sending a grim signal about the economy. Meanwhile, Joe Biden is also trying to happy talk his way by the problem of China and Russia now combining to provide a threat on on both sides of that alliance 
Joe Biden over the weekend was saying that he applauds China, which is a strange thing to say. So today, I applaud China for stepping up. Excuse me, I applaud Canada. <laughs> I'm, you can tell what I'm thinking <laughs> about China. I won't get into that yet. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. By the way, he did say that we vastly exaggerate the threat of Russia and China, which comes as cold comfort to people who are, you know, being killed in Ukraine by Russia and people who are being threatened in Taiwan by China. He says that it's all in, we're, we're, we're overestimating their power, obviously. Look, uh, look, I, I don't take China lightly. I don't take Russia lightly. But I think we vastly exaggerate. I would hear, I've been hearing now for the past three months about China is going to provide significant weapons to Russia, and they're going to, well, I've been talking about that. They haven't yet. Doesn't mean they won't, but they haven't yet. And if anything's happened, the West has coalesced significantly more. It's, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Like him, him happy talking about Russia and China is just, it's a fool's errand. The arms race in Asia, by the way, is heating up because it turns out that, that Saudis are now siding with the Chinese increasingly, which is why they're making deals with the Iranians. China has now started to fill the vacuum left by the United States in the Middle East. States all around China are beginning to arm up in serious opposition to China, which raises the risk of, of serious military conflict breaking out in the region. And meanwhile, Joe Biden is going back to sleep and talking about what amazing job he's doing. He's so vulnerable on so many fronts. Republicans need to be using whatever attention they have and directing it that way. Okay, time for some things I like and then some things I hate. So things that I like today. This is a really inspirational and cool story. So there is a former stripper called Black China, B-L-A-C-C-H-Y-N-A, Black China. According to the UK Daily Mail, she has now candidly revealed how getting baptized and reconnecting with God inspired her dramatic physical and mental makeout under which has seen her dissolving her filler, quitting her degrading OnlyFans career, and shedding her infamous stage name in favor of embracing her birth name. The 34-year-old's reality star is now going by Angela White, and she's opened up exclusively to Daily Mail about putting a very sudden end to her provocative online content for which she earned $2 million in two years and beginning the process of reversing all of the cosmetic work she had done over the years. She said that she was baptized in May of last year, and she came to the realization that continuing to share very X-rated images and videos on the degrading platform was not what God will want me to do. That's an amazing story. Like, yes, as it turns out, guys, religion and God, very good for people as a general rule. Quote, I'm not doing OnlyFans anymore. I'm kind of past that. It's one of those things where I did what I needed to do at the time because of the circumstances that I was in. She said, besides, with me being baptized, that's not what God will want me to do. It's kind of degrading. Yes, yes, it is. Having joined OnlyFans in 2020, the ex-fiancee of Rob Kardashian was eventually confirmed as the top celebrity earner the following year. She was believed to be raking in as much as $20 million per month, although she says that she was actually making about a million bucks a year. She regularly treated fans to raunchy content. But now she said that um, beginning in May of 2022, she was born again. And she says, I think my baptism on my birthday played a big part. Everything has been kind of trickling down for me and lining up perfectly. Now I'm just going by faith. I'm not going by Black China way or the Angela way. Just let God lead me. She said that she was, um, it was born out of her desire to become whole. She said, I got sick and tired of being sick and tired of the same repetitive things. I thought, let me dig deep and see what it is I'm doing wrong. Because obviously there's something I'm not doing right, even if I think I am. Now I'm doing the right thing to the best of my ability so I can become whole. You see how she rejected the, whatever you choose to do is the right thing? It turns out that, you know, when God makes demands on you, when, when there are moral demands made on you, you can make your life better. It's when you decide that what it is that you do is the best thing and how you feel is the most important thing, that you make yourself miserable. She says that it's been a rewarding experience. Quote, not only am I doing it for myself, 
I'm also encouraging other people even thinking about it. She said, everybody's, everybody's been really, really supportive. When I posted it, I didn't think it was going to be so massive, she said, of her decision to share video of herself having her filler dissolved. She said, I posted it maybe 3.30 in the morning. I was healing from my surgery and I thought, let me post these. I went to sleep. I woke up and it had blown up, but in a positive way. So, yeah, she said that I was feeling insecure and, and people feel fake and so they do this sort of stuff. But reuniting with a, a biblical vision of the, of the universe has, has helped her actually see herself more clearly. That's a really great story. And yes, once again, as it turns out, you know, thinking about your relationship with God, your, rela your relationship to roles and rules in society can actually make your life a lot better than looking internally for a subjective sense of happiness, as though that's going to be found by searching deeper within your feelings and then searching outward for the approval of people who pay you money to, to see you undress in, uh, on the... Um, on the OnlyFans. Okay, time for a quick thing I hate. So honestly, I didn't think there were going to be a lot of people who are out there defending TikTok, but apparently there are some people who are. So AOC has now come out in favor of TikTok. She put out a video on TikTok explaining why she thinks TikTok ought to be maintained. The essence of the answer, of course, is because she's very popular on TikTok, so she doesn't want it to go away, and the youths like the TikTok. So it doesn't matter that it's a Chinese spy app that is mainlining a bunch of garbage into your kid's brain. She's fine with TikTok. Here she was. Do I believe TikTok should be banned? No. Why should TikTok not be banned? First of all, I think it's important to discuss how unprecedented of a move this would be. The United States has never before banned a social media company from existence, from operating in our borders. And this is an app that has over 150 million Americans on it. Some of the arguments about banning TikTok have come in with respect to uh, discussions around Chinese surveillance and utilization of, of data that is tracked and the enormous amount of tracking uh, on US citizens that and data that is harvested by TikTok. And they say, because of this egregious amount of data harvesting, we should ban this app. However, that doesn't really address the core of the issue, which is the fact that major social media companies are allowed to collect troves of deeply personal data about you that you don't know about. Um, so what exactly is her case against banning TikTok? So her case basically comes down to a lot of people like TikTok. So she says, well, you know, they're, they're, you know it's unprecedented. Like, like she cares about precedent. AOC cares about precedent. Uh -huh. Well, maybe it has something to do with the fact that ByteDance, which is the parent company of TikTok, donated $150,000 to both the Congressional Black Caucus Foundation and the Congressional Hispanic Caucus Foundation back in December. She says um, TikTok banning it isn't the solution to data privacy concerns. Instead, Congress needs to focus on regulating social media companies' unchecked habit of collecting user data without their consent. That wouldn't help with, with ByteDance anyway. It's a Chinese company. That's the whole point. You can actually regulate Twitter. You can regulate Facebook. These are American companies. You can't regulate TikTok. Uh, I, I, amazing that the squad is coming down in favor of the Chinese spy app. Uh, honestly, kind of, kind of surprised by that, actually. It's hard to surprise me with that crew, but they have magically achieved it. All right, guys, the rest of the show is continuing right now. You're not going to want to miss it. We'll be getting into a discussion with Ami Horowitz. He has a brand new video actually from Israel talking to Israeli Arabs. You've been told it's an apartheid state. What do Israeli Arabs actually say about that? If you're not a member, become a member. Use code Shapiro at checkout for two months free on all annual plans. Click the link in the description and join us. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free 
should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So, I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 